In a world of mediocrity and dad jokes, one podcast is trying to change the game and bring humor to an ancient and secretive fraternity. You are about to witness the lighter side of Freemasonry through the eyes of modern Masons. Prepare yourself for the action. Prepare yourself for the adventure. And prepare yourself for another episode of Level With Us. Recorded live in front of a studio audience. Welcome to Level With Us, a podcast that takes a lighthearted look at Freemasonry, what goes on in the Masonic Center, and other topics that interest us. I'm the music man, Brother Ron Wright, and joining me at the Blue Dyer Distilling Company for this show is Stitch. What's going on, man? What's going on, you guys? West Side. What's up, man? Not much. What's going on? DJ Spike. What's up? DJ Spike. Nothing, man. It's a great day. It's happy to be here and uh, sample some of these fantastic drinks. Hollywood. What's going on, man? Always up to no good. What's up, brother? Big Sexy in the house. What's up? What's up, brothers? Bear. What's going on, man? How's it going, brothers? All right. Well, now that the gang's all introduced, let's do the show. All right. Let's, uh, you know, let's discuss what's going on in the last... Last few weeks since we recorded our last the one. The fact that we forgot about Westside. Do we? No, no we talked about Westside. We, West we, we just stepped all over his lines as usual. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so uh, since the last one, we've been working on these technical issues, trying to get our new equipment running. Uh, the last episode, as most of us know, Craig was nothing more than an audience member, but at least he looks like he's ready to perform tonight. He's engaged. Hollywood. But and, I'm so uh, glad he doesn't right. have his mental cup. And while episode three is here at Blue Dyer Distillery in Waldorf, Maryland, we're very excited about it. Where no metal cups are allowed. <laughs> our next episode is going to be at Patuxent Brewery, which is maybe 200 yards down the street nice, nice. from here. So uh, we, have a theme. We, have a theme. we have a theme going well, here. Well, being at Blue Dyer's, it's Bear's not as angry this time because he's a little... Look at that smile he's got on his face tonight. <laughs> and his little Irish hat. So uh, th- this, past, nice hat. this past I'm weekend, a wee man. So this past weekend, I spent the weekend uh, glamping with the uh, the Joe's daughter from Maryland. Mean? Hey, I saw that picture. That's not camping. Glamping. That's what he said. Glamping. You're glamping. in a building. It's called glamping. <laughs> Glamour camping. camping. He made friends with the stuffed fox. Remember Air Force? I don't like outdoors. Oh, God. So anyway, uh, what, what we did was is we were out there, and it was a leadership weekend for Maryland and Delaware, which is Delmar, Job's daughters now. We had about 100 people there, and the young ladies learned everything about uh, from self-defense, basic car maintenance, interviewing, and resumes, first aid, and some other fun classes they had a good time with. Oh, that's awesome. So what you're saying is the Job's daughters became even more lethal. Yes, yes. yes. A lot of the – you just seen them. They were – Brass knuckles and switchblades. <laughs> Don't mess with them. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, the dads, we spend the weekend, and we had uh, Brother Joe from our lodge and Brother Jace from our lodge. We spent the weekend cooking, uh, and then they had a, uh, a mock meeting that we, we had to put on for uh, the girls to show the adults putting on a meeting, but we had to do things wrong so the girls could pick out what, we're, what they were doing, what they do sometimes in meetings. So uh, they, it was a stretch for me. They asked me to be disruptive. And I had no way. Imagine that. Oh my yeah. God. So uh, I, I'm there. How were you able to pull that one off? It was amazing, but I, I got kicked out of the meeting within five minutes. It was, uh, <laughs> Record fi- time. And the funny thing is, is now uh, the past grandmaster, Gus Vorbles, he was the one who was orchestrating uh, the, the event that happened uh, Saturday night. But um, once I got kicked out, I bumped into the grandmaster, our current grandmaster, Richard Nagel. 
And he comes up to me and he goes, uh, so I heard you got kicked out of the meeting. I was like, yes, sir. He goes, well, give me your dues card. Like that, I was like, uh, and I said to him, I was like, uh, and I said, sir, you can have it, but unfortunately, you're in charge of St. Columbus Lodge. And he's like, never mind, keep it. So, <laughs> you know, he wants they, no part of well, running he, the DJs. Well, he they, technically is anyway. We are yeah, well, he's the boss. He's the right. boss, man. But let me tell you, he did, uh, he does a great job. You know, he supports all the youth groups. And by him being there, you know, he shows the Masons that we should be supporting the youth groups. He's right. always leading the way, whether it be with the Demolay, the Rainbow, Children or the Job's Daughters. They, they are. I mean, realistically, you know, but uh, he does a great job. He really has been doing uh, wonderful. And then uh, at that night, past, uh, past Grandmaster uh, Gus Forbless, he led the, uh, they had a, a, what they call a low veil initiation at night. It was kind of cool. And um, we, uh, we actually initiated a new girl into our Bethel. That's um, awesome. Um, one of the guys, Growing. one of the guys Growing. from a lot, Jason. His daughter was initiated, Abby, Ooh. and she had a great time. It, uh, my daughter was one of the one of the main people as a senior princess, and she did she nailed her lines. The lead mean girl. A- after a while, after a while, because she didn't yeah. nail the you know. But uh, it's a lot of words, and when you watch these young girls and all the stuff they have to do to memorize, it's really impressive. And it makes me go to you guys. Uh, if you screw up at the next meeting, you better know your lines there, brother, uh, junior deacon. In the Welsh. Oh, that's the senior deacon. But anyway, uh, but no, it was good to see the Grandmaster and set the standards, and you know, working with the youth. But uh, yeah, by the time we got home Sunday afternoon, man, we were tired. We uh, the kids were passed out, and I passed out early, and I slept. I must have got a good ten hours of sleep before I had to go to work on Monday. It felt good though. It's a good event. That's a good event. I know the Jobs have. We have an event coming up this week too. We got the uh, we got a box at the uh, Blue Crabs Stadium, so we will be holding a uh, Jobs event there. Uh, holding out on us. Yeah, yeah. You're invited. Just wait at the ticket booth for me. I'll be there. <laughs> I'll be sometime. right there. Yeah, if we have any, if we have any extra tickets, you know. But it's it's it is for the Bethel first. The girls have first dibs on that yeah. skybox. Ladies first. But uh, so uh, with that, we're going to get into our first segment live, well, uh, recorded well, live on tape uh, at Blue Dyer Distillery. Well, we forgot about, we talked about the girls, but don't we have yeah, uh, a new well, our, chapter true. coming you up? You know what? I apologize. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, our, say we're, sorry. We're, we're in the process of rebuilding our Demolay chapter, the Chesapeake chapter of the Demolay. We have uh, some young men that are, that are ready to join and lead and become leaders in the future. And we have uh, one, of our, knowledge, one of our past masters, uh, Reggie Ida, is going to be one of the leaders. And our very own Big Sexy, Big who Sexy. is a former DMLA, he is going to be one of the leaders to set it up. You got anything the to say there? The biggest DMLA. He's been a yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see uh, DMLA coming back. I mean, uh, I, if you don't know what DMLA is, uh, DMLA is basically the, the boys' youth organization. You can be a DMLA if you're between the ages of 12 and 21. Uh, between the ages of 9 and 11, you can be uh, what's called a squire. And that's like, a, you know, a squire, a, a squire is um, basically like a... A trainee, a trainee. You know, they can come, they can hang out with the older demolays. They get taught, you know, certain lessons, and um, and then you know, when you turn, when you age to twelve, you can, uh, you know, become a full demolay. Well, you've been in masonry long enough. I'm sure you're a founding member of the original demolay. Yeah, I just, first actually, they just turned a hundred years this year. <laughs> they just turned a hundred years this year. No, we're talking year, about you. And, you. Uh, I received my 20-year uh, certificate yesterday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. What's but he's crazy. Day he's day only 21. 15. He's only 21. <laughs> <and> he's <laughs> 20 years certificate. So DMLA, uh, they, you know, the, the good things about the DMLA chapter, and and this really hits home for me because I, I learned a lot of my, my skills that I use in my adult life 
in in my Blue Lodge life through through DMLA, I mean, you develop key life skills such as public speaking, fundraising, event planning, and leadership. There's all kinds of things that uh, you can do as DMLAs. Um, you know, they have special awards for senior DMLAs, and the, the senior DMLAs are DMLAs that age out at 21. Uh, uh, so, for DMLAs that are age 17 and older, you can become a Chevalier. Uh, I'm a Chevalier. Uh, Reggie is a Chevalier. Um, these aren't something that you can apply to or ask for. Uh, the person has to be nominated for the award, uh, uh, and they can't know about it. Um, uh, Reggie is also a, a Legion of Honor. Uh, that's for people 25 and older. Um, that's also something that you can't apply for. You have to earn that. So you'll get I don't that want to interrupt you, yeah. but uh, Craig just ordered another one of those drinks. <laughs> no, yeah, I ordered Apple the, uh, the Smurf uh, squirts. Yeah. Old fashioned. Oh, sure you did. Oh, it's about but, time you got a big boy but, drink. You know what? Uh, with, we <laughs> with that, let's jump into <laughs> our, our first segment, and we're going to talk about uh, what morals or values have we learned or improved on since becoming a Mason and how have we improved from Maestry. Now, one of the, the main uh, things when they, they talk about the tense Maestry, they, they say Freemasons believe in honor and that a man has a responsibility to behave honorably in everything he does. Freemasonry teaches its members the principles and personal decency and personal responsibility. Now, while we're having a good time here because, you know, we, we try to be professional and we try to be, you know, do a lot of work in the community. We're, we're, still, we're still guys and we like to have a good time and we like to cut it up. And that's what we're trying to show that, you know, outside the lodge, while real masonry happens outside the lodge, we still like to have a lot of fun. But um, I'd like to hear from some of the guys on, you know, like uh, for me, what I will always say is one of the things that we learn is uh, I'm a lot calmer than I used to be. Uh, you know, growing up in the city, I was a little, little crazy. Uh, but a good example is what happened recently when I was giving tickets to a Yankees-Orioles game you know, just a few weeks ago. And the Yankees won 14-2, by the way. Best team ever. And uh, uh, 27 World Series. Let's just talk about that. Wah, wah. That's but when there was like three it was, teams. It was, the, my daughter and I were there. We're wearing our Yankee jerseys. We're all happy. And these three guys who had been drinking behind us dropped a hot dog on us full of mustard. It went oh. all over us. Your now, jerseys were white. And the jerseys, yeah, they're Yankee jerseys, so they're white. So my daughter stands up, and she's mad. And I stand up. Now, if this was about, you know, eight, nine years ago, before I was a Mason, I would have throat punched the guy. But the New nowadays, came out. yeah, the New Yorker would have came out, but I'm a lot calmer nowadays. So I thought about it for a second. I'm like, the guy didn't do it on purpose. It's like he threw his hot dog and mustard on us. So I sent my daughter to go wash her jerseys. I talked to the guy calmly, and I said, hey, was it an accident? He's like, yes. I go, then we're good. You know, he apologized. It was good. We shook hands. You know, he, he bought us, a, you know, a soda. Everything was fine. But without what I've learned through Maestri in the last few years, I probably would have got into a fight. But I thought about it. I've learned to think about my actions before I do them. Because sometimes your training comes in from the military or your street training comes in from where you grew up. And you want to just act a fool. But I didn't for the first time. And I was they very proud of myself. gave street lessons where you grew up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The street lessons were if I didn't learn how to fight, you know, I got, uh, I got, you went from I got downtown dropped. New York to upstate New York. You so classy. You got dropped. But you know, and then you know, another thing we learned is, is in my professional life, and many of you guys feel the same way. So we work a lot of stuff on Robert's Rules of Order, 
Uh, so am I, you know, what I've learned is to be, during meetings, you know, back in the past, someone would get up and they would say something that was completely wrong. And I'd be like, I would just stand up and say something like, you're, you're wrong, you're an idiot, you don't know what you're talking about. But nowadays, I quietly sit there, I take notes, I let them finish because in our lodge meetings, we, we, we have to let someone finish talking. If you jump up and start screaming at someone, you break protocol yeah. in a lodge, and it's it's not don't right. A, you don't admonish in public. You take them to the side. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I've learned to, you know, if someone's wrong, kind of explain them the errors of their ways or not attack them. And uh, it's really helped me in my professional career because I'm much calmer at work, and it's helped me, uh, you know, it's helped me excel. In the Welsh. What about yeah, you, Westside? My two big ones are... Uh, um, I started thinking of others. You know, everyone has that little selfish streak, so masonry's actually helped me, like, kind of start to temper that, especially at home, where, you know, I do worry and wonder what what's going on with my wives and kids before myself, so so that's a big one. And then the other one is is learning to, to be a listener, not so much realizing you don't have to solve the problem. Sometimes people just want to tell you about their problems. They're not, they're not looking for you to solve it. They just need you to listen. And, and that, that was a hard for, thing for me to learn because... I think at, at my core, I'm a fixer. If someone tells me something, I want to figure out how to fix it. Right. And uh, I, I had to learn that, that that's, it's helped me learn that that's not always the case. They don't, they don't want a solution. They just want to get the problem off their chest. Right. It's true. It's true. A lot of times people do. They just want to call you up and they just want to, you know, talk for a minute. But they, they know what the problem is in the heart. Yeah. But they just want to get it and out. It's hard. They it's work hard. through it on their own. They it's hard to not own. offer a solution. It really is. It's and what, what, I, what I will remind everyone that, that might be listening, the five people listening to this podcast, uh, you know, three years from now. In the uh, four countries. The, <laughs> the main thing is is that uh, we are working, we are recording inside of a distillery. So uh, there's background noise, but it's a, it's an active distillery. So it's not uh, super quiet like we're used to. But, uh, you know, it, it makes it a little more fun because we're in a different environment. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> They so, are uh, open now. That's what happens how, when we go on the road. How about you, Big Sexy? So, uh, you know, I really started learning my skills in DMLA, like I said, but um, more, so, more so over um, I, uh, the memorizing of the ritual. You know, that, that was a, a big thing that I had trouble with when I was younger. And then I got into the lodge and started doing officers' positions. And, and you know, it really came to me. And I take that from Lodge, and I'm a professional chef, so I have to memorize a Rolodex of recipes. So I, I use that every day. So it really you helped know, your work ethic and, it, and, and your public speaking. It really did. Nice. <clears throat> what about Hollywood? Yeah. So a couple things is, same thing, memorization is a big one. And it helped, helped me with work. I'm a firefighter. I have to memorize running routes and uh, 100 blocks and short streets and it sounds uh you might sound latin to some of y'all but the hose the water comes out one end though that's all you well <laughs> no i'm it on a ladder truck so we just throw ladders <laughs> and break doors <laughs> i get to destroy things it's a lot of fun when are you going to start but, memorizing ritual I'd, I'd love to hear that <laughs> <laughs> shots fired wah, wah. Huh, thanks um, shots fired the other one is is patience um yeah. I have a real bad problem with road rage when people cut me off, when people do things, and especially when I'm on my motorcycle. I did that um, to you intentionally. So when people cut me off on my bike, I get real real frustrated. And sometimes I've done some non-Christian things in response. And I have a Masonic uh, emblem on the back of my bike along with a cross. And because of that, I have to stop and think about my actions. Am, am I portraying yep. my beliefs by my responses to other people. Are you living up to your obligations? Yeah. That's another thing, yeah. Yeah. 
music man. man. How about you? So uh, what I'd say is in my life, I tend to watch those around me. And when I notice something negative or how that affects others, I evaluate myself and try to eliminate those Check yourself, son. On the other hand, when I look around and see positive impacts, when I see positive impacts, I try to also emulate and adopt those. But in terms of masonry, I would say brotherhood, uh, witnessing what a stand-up brother looks like, what he does, how he's a gentleman to those around him and that he's attentive to others around him, and he's willing to listen rather than quick talk, and that's kind of what some of the other guys were saying. Why are you making eye contact with me? Who's he so talking about? Listening. I'm, I'm a great. <laughs> he also, a Mason carries himself as a professional, but doesn't take himself too seriously, which I there think is go. really cool. It's something that we as a, as a lodge in St. In Columbia really yeah. take heart in that. Um, he's always uh, aware of the positive impact he can have on others and those around him. Um, and he's always ready to assist his brothers in his community when he's called upon and sees a need. See, so those are things I've always. What I, what I like off that is 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 it like we've been teaching ourselves. We go back to honor. Is we hold ourselves to a higher honor now, um, as, right. as far as as far as uh, uh, what we what we expect of ourselves, and uh, um, so much so that our bro- my brothers I know hold me to a higher standard also, but not to the fact we're like. If maybe I do something wrong, you're not going to admonish me, but you'll be there to help me get back on my path. Sure. So, so that, yeah. that's big is to, to know that not just the honor in yourself, but that you can get on, you know, your brother's there to help you walk honorably also. Yeah. And I'd without add, judgment. And I'd add to that, you know, those listening to this podcast right now can hear what we're saying and think that oh, these are laudable things to do. But it's another thing entirely to see guys that look just like you acting that way. Yeah. as models in Lodge, you know, and that's a really cool thing to see it modeled for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Not just someone reading a book or telling you what you should do, but you, you're watching you, them you and see how other they people carry live themselves. It. Yeah. yeah, everyone's yeah. living it. Yeah. Well, we, we've noticed a lot of guys in Lodge when they've come in, you know, they, you know, we try to say we make good men better, but we've had some good guys come in and, you know, over their journey through the first three degrees and even after they became a Master Mason, we've watched like a, a light turn on inside them and them just become really amazing people. Right. And you know, and, and they started doing a lot of work and they worked twice as hard and, and you know, put in extra effort to help out in the community. Well, that you know, re- at our the, church, at their house, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the wives say, you know, when, uh, when, you know, brother X joined the lodge, you know, he wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't the best husband in the world or he, you know, he didn't take time out with the kids. Yeah. But since he started going through everything and the teachings and all the stuff, He's a more attentive husband. He's a better father. I mean, how? Well, that's know, I'm a that's better the father great thing nowadays. with the ritual is is it's so robust and so great and, sp- and widespread that sooner or later something will spark inside you from it because right. sooner or later you're going to hit on a topic that really touches home for you. It may take it may be in the first degree, maybe in the third degree, but sooner or later something is going to really touch you. Yeah. What about you, Bear? Well, I think Brother Ron touched on uh, a little bit. Uh, one of the things that I've tried to learn through masonry is number one not take myself so seriously as most of you know i'm still kind of learning that lesson shorts in the third degree right (laughs) (laughs) that uh, that, that might be one of the the best ones and to explain to the studio audience or whoever's listening or everyone around uh when uh, brother bear was uh doing his proficiency for the third degree it was right after it was new year's day new year's day, new year's day. and uh, the dry cleaners were closed and uh, he showed up in, in a hoodie and shorts and in my defense the website said they were open it wasn't just you it was multiple <laughs> guys there was multiple multiple guys from the lodge showed up not you know but it, it's you know the lodge is pretty uh, laid back and we allow that stuff and you uh you had to stand there while the two guys next to you were in suits, and you had to sit there. In See, a but that, that also goes back to meeting on the level because, with, you right. know, there was no judgment. It was you were at least you were at the lodge with your brothers. That's what matters. That's correct. And 
And that is something that one of the reasons why I joined the lodge and got into masonry to begin with is because of the brotherhood, this camaraderie, this family feeling that you get when you walk in the lodge is something that, you know, having been in fire and EMS for almost 30 years, lately it's been feeling more distant there, but I found it again here. And it's just, right. and most of us, and most of us honestly say, when we come to lodge, by the time we leave for the, at the end of the night, we are, hap- feel we are way happier. Feel way better. We feel so much better because we've spent time with our brothers in doing what we love. You know, we Absolutely. love coming I, and I meeting on the agree. level. Yeah. I fully agree. There's a lot of nights, you know, after uh, a 10 hour shift at work, you know, a three hour commute round trip, I get home. And I, you know, I gotta go to the, you know, I'm tired. I show up in the lodge. I'm just, I'm tired. I, I honestly, I'd rather be in bed. And then uh, all the brothers come in. And we, we know each. It's like cheers. Everyone knows everyone's name. And we start cracking jokes. Everyone's, yeah, everyone's cracking jokes. And then you know that meeting starts, and everyone's having fun. And we want to be there. It's not like I go to lodge because I'm. It's an obligation. I go to lodge because I actually want to be there. And by the end of about a half hour into the meeting, I'm in one of the best moods of my life. And then at the end of the night, you know, after the meeting, then we all hang out, you know, to the wee hours and, and, and have true fellowship. 5 and, and, but we have, we have, you know, friends, you know, visitors from other lodges who come and hang out with us. And we, we've gone out for a, an adult cocktail after the meeting. And, and you know, it's, it's when, we, when we're in that, you know, at Site P, which is, you know, my garage, when we're all sitting around. 5 we're, all, we're all sitting there. But that's when we get into true masonry. We talk about how we're all different, yet... Yeah. We all love the same things, and we talk about music and sports and, uh, you know, a good cigar or whatever. Craig's awesome ritual. Yeah, and, you know. (laughs) My footwork's on point, though. Just my footwork's on point. So, Brother Stitch, how about you? And the Welsh. Uh, Well, I'm one of the newest Master Masons um, in the Lodge, and I'm probably one of the youngest Master Masons in the Lodge. And uh, No, that'd be Brother Steve B. Well, yeah, Steve's but like, I said Steve's one like, of. Steve's like, what, what is he, 22? Or yeah. He's, Someone's he's, about your age already well, been doing it for 20 yeah, years. Just, yeah. I, I was about to say, isn't Big Sexy like the youngest guy yeah. in the lodge? Uh, no. And he's been doing it for 20 years. No, he was the youngest <laughs> Master Mason because he became a Master Mason right when it changed from 21 to 18. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> was that 1976? <laughs> But uh, I've actually learned a lot. Um, or 17, 17. Yeah, I've actually learned a lot because, um, like, I came in to masonry not knowing anything. I didn't really know anybody that were masons besides maybe one or two people, but it wasn't really that long. And one of our guests in the audience, the uh, one of the ladies of the lodge and a regular here, Blue Dyer, um, <laughs> I was a little bit rough around the edges at first, you know. Uh, Do you think he'll propose on Mike? Oh, shit. oh <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. Oh, wait Shots till next. Fired. Wait till next episode. Oh, <laughs> Not, yeah. Nothing like putting you on the spot, buddy. Right. Let's yeah, get him another drink or two. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I need another drink. But yeah, um, I was rough around the edges because all I had was military um, experience. Because I got, I went to the military at 19, so that's all the real world experience that I had. And I was very young. I was a sergeant at like 22 23 and it was all the do what i say do it now and feelings weren't really a thought and my girlfriend for a lot of times you know would tell me you, know, you got to consider my feelings and as a manager it's like okay i got to get things done and that's how i did things and as she has told me ever since i became a member of the lodge especially a master mason i've become a little bit more considerate to po- towards people and i've 
soften the edges a little yeah. bit. You little start you start thinking about other bit. people's feelings at least, considering them. <laughs> it's so funny she's hysterically laughing over. <laughs> I, 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 would, I would do the same thing, Keenan, because at first when you when you grow up and you start managing and doing stuff, you you struggle not to manage your household. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's where a lot of people struggle, and that's where I struggled is I was managing my household. And yeah. My wife and she would tell me constantly, "I don't work for you. Don't talk to me like that. Like, I'm not one of your employees." Like, right. so that, that that's something that Mason helped me break. Masonry helped me break also is not to manage my household and just live in my household and be a good husband to my wife. And but it, it also, my it, the management that it teaches you also is that you know because we are much like the military and all volunteer organization. So at a lodge, you know, you can't bark orders at someone and, and tell them to do something because you know. Oh no, you got to lead by example. You got to lead by example because if you bark orders, they're like, "I'm out." I'm out. I'm a volunteer here. I don't. I don't need to work 90 hours and do all this extra work if I'm not going to be appreciated. So you learn to lead by example. Uh, you know, give kudos to those who are working. You know, when you know all the guys sitting around this table. You know, do a lot of work. And you know, whether it be you know, uh, you know, West Side in Hollywood with the, with you know, in, in Brother Crudge with the uh, the BMW boy or whatever we're gonna. <laughs> what, I don't know. We don't have a nickname for him yet. But when they, you know when they did the too the tall. Golf, yeah, too tall. Too tall. Yeah, too tall is a normal one. But you know the golf tournament. You know, when you guys put a lot of work into that, you know, uh, it, it you know it raises money for drive, charity. Mr. I drive over cones. But uh, you know, <laughs> you know, and then you know, Big Sexy does a lot with youth groups and is always trying to help out. And then you know, and Bear over there was helping out with the, the gun raffle we had. And and you know, and that's something that um, everyone in the lodge brings something to the lodge. It's not just. Uh, you know, you're in a seat, you're an officer. No, it's yeah. everyone in there has a purpose. Everyone's missed when they're not well, there. When, you know, when they're not in lodge, they're missed. They really, they honestly are. Westside brought up managing and, and how he talks to his wife and, and whatnot. But dealing with my kids is the same way. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I'm more receptive to actually listening yeah. to my kids Whoa. and their versus just telling them. Yeah. What to, yeah. It, I did just the same thing. Go to your room or, or yeah. do this because I said so. It's. It's, I actually listen to them I have, now. I agree. I have more patience with my kids it, now. It did help me become oh, a better father, ago. too. Not just a better husband, but a better father also. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I think my ice is making too much noise because there's nothing in there. But uh, You need a metal cup. Bartender. But, uh, you know, with, <laughs> we need a metal uh, cup full of ice. <laughs> but with that, bartender. I think with that, what we're going to do is, is we're going to take a little break. Uh, what what I will do is is I would like to say this podcast today is sponsored by Blue Dyer Distilling Company. Blue yeah, they will be on the Blue next segment Dyer. discussing a Q and A on uh, the history of uh, the distillery. They've been crafting awesome. uh, they've been crafting quality rum, whiskey, and gin right here in Waldorf, Maryland since 2015. Vodka. And we hope for much much longer. Uh, and also the, by the Blue Diver and Blue. <laughs> Blue Diver. <laughs> Blue Diver. You know, uh, another episode. Uh, hey, this proves that our commercials are well, not pre-recorded. He, he just pronounced. <laughs> what, what he I, just pronounced how he spelled Blue Diver last time. <laughs> what I will say is another drink, one. The drinks are a little strong. Uh, and but, another one. And by we the Blue Diver Tavern, uh, your new local watering hole for craft cocktails, recently figured by Lynn O'Mara in Restaurants of Southern Maryland and the Charles County Visitors Guide. Uh, also, it was sponsored. Uh, it was on the Fox Five Zip Trip about two years ago. It was the number one place, voted the number one place to visit in Waldorf. And honestly, I agree. Um, but Blue Diamond Tavern is a must-visit destination distillery, uh, open uh, for tours or just hanging out. Um, they have specials on like Wednesdays. They have game night. They they thir- Fridays is teachers' night and and stuff like that. But um, come down for tastings, craft cocktails. They're open. Uh, Tuesday through Friday from 5 to 10, and Saturday and Sunday from 2 to 10. 
located at 52 Industrial Park Drive, Suite 15, Waldorf, Maryland. Find them on Facebook, Instagram, and their website, Blue Dyer Distilling. Dot com. How, how do you spell how that? You spell well, that? you just Google it and it, it'll come right up. B L Y U. Hey, Google. When, you, when you're there, make sure to ask Dan for uh, Craig's oh, Smurf yes. drink. Yeah, Dan, Dan is their, their front end manager, bartender, genius. Uh, Ryan and Walker are the owners. Ryan is kind of the uh, the mad scientist. And Walker is uh, Walker's the guy, if you want a good tour, you, you go to him. Yes, Texas Ranger. But uh, it's all good. But uh, they're great guys. Come down and visit. And with that, we'll be back in a few minutes, and we'll have the guys from Blue Dyer on here for a little Q&A and a little fun. So mold it be, so mold it be. Shout out to all my brothers through Freemasonry. Let's meet on the level I earned three degrees. Okay, everyone, welcome back to segment two. We will now be talking with one of the owners of Blue Dyer, a good friend of most of ours, because uh, he doesn't care for everyone, but uh, Walker, who's one of the co-owners, he's one of the inventors of this wonderful distillery that we're enjoying a beverage at tonight. Great. That's right. Sorry, I had to take a drink. So we will get right into the questions that we have. So, uh, Walker, a question for you. Where, what made you guys start a distillery? Yeah, there's, there's a lot that went into it, but it, uh, essentially if you boil it down to um, a short answer, uh, Ryan and I both did not like our jobs we were at at the time, didn't see necessarily longevity in it. And Ryan went up to New York and toured a distillery uh, on New Year's or uh, right after, and... He realized that you can do this legally now, and his family had had bootlegging backgrounds, and we, uh, we, he, he came back and started talking about it, saying, like, are we going to see if one is open in Southern Maryland? If there's not, we're going to open one. Um, and then he, he kind of started talking about it, and most people said he was crazy, and that's stupid, and for whatever reason, I asked him if he, if he needs someone to do that with, and then we just started going from there. Hey, before so you, we get to that, you got roped into it, basically. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I, I volunteered for this, unfortunately. Yeah. So before the before the next PowerPoint we got there, what what event helped you finally uh, cut the tie to the other job and say we're going full bore with this? Let, let, let's finally we're gonna we're gonna call it quits on this other job and we're gonna do this. Sure. Uh, the the best that I can uh, say that did that is that we were losing too much potential money on events, uh, markets, going out, finding new accounts, maintaining old accounts, and just going going that direction. Uh, it wasn't necessarily that we were losing money, it's just potential money. So if you needed to grow it and keep going as a business, I mean, if you if your business is just surviving, that's, that's not going to last very long. So you really needed to actually make a few profits so you can invest that money back in and, and continue to grow. That's right. I remember uh, when you guys first started, you were actually delivering 
to the uh, local stores out of the back of your vehicle. So uh, whenever the local uh, Berry County Market that's right by some of our houses, when they were out, they'd have to call you guys up on the phone and uh, we're out of rum again. We need rum. You know, old site P is empty. So, you know. Yeah, and, and there weren't, there, you know, when we, when we opened, we were, I think we were the fifth. Um, distillery in Maryland, so there weren't a, there weren't a lot of people that were used to that happening, uh, especially to self distributing. So you know we had a few people being like, "What are you just selling this out of back of your truck?" And we're like, "Actually, actually, yeah." I mean, I have, <laughs> I, I have a plethora of, of totally federal, legal. state, and local permits that allow me to do such a thing. But that's yes, right. that's exactly what I'm doing. We boil it down to get in. So how, how'd you get to the name uh, Blue Dyer? Yeah, the name, uh, all the all that history is in, in Ryan's family. I've just been lucky enough to weasel my way into it, and now I'm staying. But uh, the the original Blue Dyer in his family goes back 11 generations. Um, and he settled in what's now Adams County, Pennsylvania. Uh, he was a doctor, but most of the time up to and including his will, he identified himself as a Blue Dyer. During that time period, the profession of Blue Dyer was getting indigo, uh, Blue Dye out of indigo and woad, but it wasn't water-soluble. You had to distill an industrial-grade alcohol to get that out. So being a, a doctor, he had a cursory knowledge of botany chemistry, and being a blue dyer, he had a still. So when he wasn't making blue dye, and he wasn't being a doctor, he was making liquor. And we know that because Adams County Historical Society was awesome, and they found us minutes from a Quaker meeting that they invited him to where they very politely asked him to stop making and selling liquor in the area, and he <laughs> very politely said no. <laughs> but the name then got passed down in the family as a nickname. And where it more recently relates to us is Ryan's great-grandfather, who was a bootlegger out of Stafford County, Virginia. He used the Blue Dyer name as his handle, or nom de guar, if you will, while he was running liquor out of Stafford County, Upper Route 1 in the Northern Virginia and D.C. Um, he got caught. He did 10 years federal penitentiary, but uh, it worked for a little bit there. But great-granddad <laughs> talked uh, granddad, and um, then it just kind of stuck. So Ryan actually had and still has a blue dyer tattoo before we even started this. So oh, nice. It, it was the easiest conversation we had. Um, <laughs> Great grandpa yeah. sounds like a gangster. And what, what I will say is if, uh, if guys you're in the Waldorf area and you'd like to come down for a, uh, you know, they have our tavern open. The tavern is open Tuesday through Sunday. Uh, on Saturdays and Sundays, they're open from two to 10 and from Tuesdays to Fridays, they're open from five to 10. Did that from memory, I've been here enough. And uh, they're located <laughs> at 52 Industrial Park Drive, Suite 15, Waldorf, Maryland. Uh, you can find them on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, they have a beautiful webpage some genius put up for them. I heard they paid him a ton of money for DJ it. DJ Spike. I almost said it without laughing, so. DJ Spike. In the house. So, so what, uh, I know we have some other questions, but I have one that I wanted to know is, going through, what, do you, what would you say was the biggest mistake you guys made that you wish you that you stumbled across but you could tell that you could help people avoid not necessarily just that want to do distillery but any business like what was the biggest mistake you came across putting yeah. an alcohol company by mva right no, actually <laughs> surprisingly not no. um the uh i think the biggest one was um was marketing um not doing enough necessarily research on on marketing and advertising uh we we didn't put a ton of money because we didn't have a ton of money, but we, we did some conventional advertising to begin with. And if you're selling a product that at that time was not sold outside the state, it doesn't make sense to go for any sort of conventional advertising. If you can do hyper local stuff and then if you can get organic homegrown um, interaction with that, uh, that's where it's at. So Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, 
uh, Twitter, which I we, we try to get more on it, but uh, we're kind of slacking on that. But definitely your Facebook and your Instagram, and you have to do all of them because they all hit different demographics. Well, we use one for uh, our lodge that every time we post something on Facebook, it automatically puts it on Yes. Yep, so on Twitter, so with the Instagram app, I can set something to post on Instagram, and it'll automatically um, start putting it on uh, Facebook, and then someone just died somewhere. But, uh, <laughs> so basically, don't, fall, don't, fall, don't fall into the trap of trying to do too much widespread marketing. Yeah. Like, that, like, like centralize your marketing yes, to the region. Understand who, who you're trying to reach and why you're trying to reach them, and at different times, you, can, you need to change it up, and you need to constantly evaluate. And if you're not... If you're just hold on to something and you're like this is this is the only way to do it and you're not trying to pivot, um, I mean there's so many times Ryan and we're just talking that we're sitting there like oh man this isn't happening fast enough but at least it's happening and if we had just stayed our course and just tried to ride it out it wouldn't have worked so you got to reevaluate you got to pivot when you got to pivot and you, you just got to know your business and just always ask questions your customers are the best ones if anybody walks in here the first question i'm going to ask you is be like hey how'd you hear about us yeah because i want to know well um, right. the, the one thing i'd like to ask you is you know I, i've been around you guys for a while and i knew you you know you started off the distillery but how long did it really take you from the initial concept to production in this facility i mean obviously you had to be making test batches quote unquote air quotes i'm throwing up that no one could see except well, there's a video going today uh <laughs> But I mean, how how long did it take you to scale to the you know the, the amount of the amount of alcohol I mean amount of rum that you started making because I mean initially you know you can make a small batch but when you're making cases at a time and now you have a distributor and distributors like we need a pallet full of cases how long does that really take? Sure. Um, well, it it takes roughly about a year and a half uh, if you think about wow. when when you're analyzing wow. numbers and going forward. Now the problem with that is we're we we're, we're too new. Uh, it's bad math. Um, we, we don't know what we need. Uh, I got bad math too. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's because you're a stupid Marine. The math for Marines is great. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man. I can only count up to 10, all right? Leave me alone. 20 if you take your shoes off. <laughs> so, going awesome. back to your history, um, when did he, for Ryan, first uh, learn about the family business? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, he, he'd already, he's always grown up hearing about the Blue Dyer boys and not just from, not just from family, but. Uh, down in Stafford, some of the families that have been there longer, they're like, "Oh yeah, you're you're, you're you know, you're related to the Budair boys," and, and you know they were they were kind of known in the area for what they were doing. Um, but you know, when did he really learn about the the stilling process? Um, anywhere between from age eight to eleven is really when oh, he started wow. like actually seeing what's going on. Now, now I will say on public record that neither Ryan nor myself have ever made a single drop without a federal permit because uh, that's illegal. Right. We simply happen to watch other people doing it <laughs> <laughs> without dropping any names. So, yes. so how long did that first recipe take to, to like perfect? Like, yeah. I imagine did, did the first batch just come out tasting like gold, or did the first batch come out tasting like uh, hot fire? Something you didn't want to drink, really? No, it was it it wasn't absolute gold. It wasn't the best thing we've ever made, and um, but it it, it, it would enough mix or everything tastes good. Yeah, there you right? go. But it wasn't it wasn't terrible in. We've never actually we've never actually had to throw out a batch really, um, and we've never lost a fermentation tank. So. Quitters right. never win. Um, yeah, nice. So and winners never quit. So you brought up he took a trip to New York to see a distillery. Is that the first time he thought about opening a distillery, or had he thought about that before? Yeah, no, that was the first. Uh, surprisingly, he really at, at that point. I mean, there's still there weren't a lot of distilleries out there, especially in Maryland. Well, there still there, isn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that you could know that you could do this and you could legally do it and that just 
an individual could get the license for it, not that it necessarily just an individual can open a distillery because uh, we've seen that a few times and you can technically do it. Uh, your reach is not going to be nearly, you need, you need at least two people um, to get anywhere. So. so just a question. So how does Blue Dyer actually keep up with the demands of Thirsty Masons in Will Plato? <laughs> yeah. um, One bottle at a time. We, yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we know... We, we sort of factor in based on every run for rum that we're going to do um, that, that roughly around 15 to 20 cases are going to be specifically <laughs> set aside um, just <laughs> essentially for Masons and Friends. So uh, it's from, what is, what's your biggest seller? Which, like, yeah, uh, what's your number one seller? Well, let's, there's yeah. six products. Yeah. So we have the Gold Rum, which was the first one that came out. Then we came, then the Gin. We came out like I, I own the company, but you know I've been here <laughs> since the beginning. So then, uh, then we had the regular the the bourbon whiskey, and then we came out with the uh, the dark rum, the barrel aged, uh, barrel rested gin. Then eventually the port whiskey came that out. Port whiskey the gin came out before port, the whiskey. That port, port whiskey is straight fire. Uh, yeah, the port. I, I feel that like you're missing one. So good. I feel like you're missing. Yeah, one. I feel like I'm missing two. Yeah, I think. What are we missing? Okay, when do we get dark spice rum? Yeah, that's the question. Spice rum. Spice rum is hard. That's, that's one that we got to wrap our heads around at, um, Get busy with ourselves just because <laughs> spice rum essentially came about because they were trying to mimic not only barrel aging, but they were they were covering up uh, bad spirits. Uh, Fix yeah. it. So if you <laughs> not to offend anybody, but if you if, if your go to good, <laughs> if you go to uh, if, if you, job is done, if your go to spirit is cinnamon whiskey, um, just so you know, that's like bottom of the line. That's their that's their trash. Well, it doesn't got to taste good because they're adding this flavor. Exactly. So if you add enough of uh, something to it, 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 it should taste good. It, um, the fact that some people are like, well, I like cinnamon whiskey. I mean, it doesn't taste great. And I'm like, see, that's a problem. Like they're, they're, they're putting a lot of stuff in there to make it taste good. Right. So um, what what is the next special uh, like flavor or, or liquor you have coming out? I know you have the port, uh, and I, I rave about that. Anyone that asks me, so I, I, I know it's hard to find a time because... Uh, um, there's limited runs of it, but I, I rave on the port whiskey constantly. I love that stuff. But what's the next special you have coming out? Yeah, um, we just uh, I just went up to McClintock Distilling in Frederick, and if anybody ever has a chance to go up to Frederick and go see um, those guys, they're great. Um, they they hands down, um, I think they make the best gin, um, basically that I've ever tasted. So if you go up and see them, they're great. They have a venue, um, so they do a lot of weddings and stuff like that. But they're fantastic. Um, we're doing something with them. I just picked up some Madeira wine barrels that they oh, were nice. utilizing for some of their barrel gin um, for one of their runs. And then we are going to do a run through it. And then it's going to be a collaboration um, between us that is going to uh, going to come into something. I'm not sure what at what time. Um, we got to kind of figure that out a little bit. But um, we'll, we'll see. That 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 will be the next one that will be out. Um, I can't soon. I can't wait to taste it. That kind of sounds amazing with yeah. the Madeira. That, that, see, that I, sounds like it might be pretty amazing. I feel like that Blue Dyer needs to make a designer, you know, St. Columba, Masonic. Yeah, you You know. <laughs> I'd actually like to see some vodka. Yeah, designer <laughs> vodka, designer rum, possibly. Well, you know, our, uh, their, you like their bartender, <laughs> bar manager, bar genius, Dan, just walked in with his horse. Making a bunch I like, of I like how there's a horse walking around and no one's discussing there's a horse walking around the room. I, I'm not a man. I'm a horse. I'm not a horse. I'm a broom. 
But Dan just walked in, and uh, you know we have questions for Dan because I know Walker uh, Walker has very limited time today. Because uh, well, let me get one more question I, in for Walker. Yeah, right I've got one more too. One more question is what what is for, as of right now? What do you see the evolution? Where are you guys going? How how big do you want to get? Like what's your what's your end game? Yeah, Thanos um, level. Take over the world. Yeah, yeah, right. Be able to snap my <laughs> snap fingers. your fingers, <laughs> and um, it all comes true. It's not necessarily that we're looking to be. Um, the next thing that's available in like every country around around the world uh, because I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. Um, I think you could lose touch with what you have. So part of the thing that Ryan and I always evaluate and reevaluate is how fast are we growing and do we need to scale some stuff back because if you grow too fast then you, you lose a little bit of your identity and who you are. Yeah, that you, you see a lot of people fall into that trap where the, the product ends up suffering because they grow too fast. Exactly, and that's, that's what we want to that's what we want to not have happened now what what we want to do is is try to maintain our, our, our presence, <laughs> Jesus our presence the, the bear is breaking stuff <laughs> and knocking <laughs> stuff over where's that drop you got for the bear Sorry, go back to hibernation i don't think those mics are expensive no. no these are cheap mics really they don't look like cheap mics <laughs> that's what you're saying that one's cheap now keep your presence broken. in maryland and yeah keep keep our presence in maryland and, and then um going forward uh, being able to have a, a place where people can come down and, you know, you can have a tavern, you can have a distillery, and then you can have an event space. Um, okay. one, of the, one of the things we saw basically is that um, at least Charles County and some of Southern Maryland, um, there are some there are some good event space in Southern Maryland. Um, Brian and I both just uh, uh, have some bad memories about how much we paid for our, our wedding venues, and if we could uh, <laughs> if we could provide a space that was a little bit more reasonably priced, it would just it would fit in with how we built this which is reasonably priced but good quality and and i can tell you from experience because i've tried to book a couple of the last couple of years there is almost zero not like decent event space in the waldorf area like it's really right. lacking yeah. as far as you can yeah yeah you have wineries but other than that there, there's just not a whole lot and, and, a, and, good, they're, and, they're, they're and a good places they're are very, expensive they're very expensive i mean there's a few that we've been to and uh they're 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 pricey they're very pricey and, and they, yeah. don't, they don't put out, you know, some of them are just barns in the woods, but some of them are, you know, the vineyards are nice, the wineries are nice in the area, don't get me wrong, but you're going to pay at a premium cost to have it there and for their product to be on hand. And, and in all reality, I mean, we, that is something we want to do, but what that would also allow us to do is be able to experiment in here and be able to come out with all the different things. I mean, it, if we didn't turn around and open a tavern um, and spend a lot of time and money on that, uh, we, we would currently be releasing three additional whiskeys. Uh, so we've got a rye, a single malt, and a three grain that, that we want to have coming out. Um, so we've, we've researched all, but we know how we're going to do it. But if you don't have those necessarily capital um, funds available, then you can't, you can't throw it back in and then expect right. it. Because the hard part about uh, running a distillery is your, your product is not ready for a year and a half. Um, and it has to age. And you, yeah, you that's crazy to think about. Yeah. Like that. Well, just well, then, you know, I, re I remember when you guys started putting out the new products, the biggest problem was is you have to have a label approved by the yes. government, the recipe has to be approved, the ATF, you know, all those stuff. It, it takes forever. And uh, every time you put out a new product, it costs a lot of money. So you can make a vat of, you know, let's just say vodka right now, but you can't start selling it or even do anything because you have to come up with a, a lot of capital in order to pay for the licensing and, and everything for the government. I mean, say it's you, a lot. I say you counter skinny so vodka with I got fat, one. just fat guy vodka. We're telling it right now. Fat, fat, yeah. guy, vodka. fat, fat guy, guy vodka. vodka. I got one more question for you. <laughs> so for you and, and 
Ryan, if you can answer the, for him. Did anyone since he's not Craig's here. notes are all in crayon today? <laughs> they're in pen. With a lot of scribbles. They're, they're in pen with a lot of scribbles. No crayon that, today. How'd you get that he to stay on the Etch-A-Sketch like that? <laughs> I don't know, man, but I did a good job. So what is your favorite product that you make, and what's your favorite to drink, and then what's his, if you can answer for him? Uh, yeah, I mean, our, our favorite product to make is, is it's gonna be the, it's gonna be the rum. Uh, yeah. wh- whiskey's, whiskey's Thank fun. You. Whiskey's fun to make, and it, it's, it's great to make, but the best way I can describe it is rum. Rum is your, your B student. It shows up every day, it does the same thing, and you know what you're gonna get, right? Um, whiskey, whiskey is your just crazy idiot savant sometimes. <laughs> you just, you don't know what's going to happen. A student one day, F student the next. Right? It, it, and it, all of a sudden, it could just be giving you the hardest time in the world, and then it's fine the rest of the run through, and it comes out amazing. Um, but it, it could also be just absolutely crazy the entire time, and you're trying to fight with it on what's going on. Um, now, what about but, vodka? Yeah. <laughs> just tell me. Right? Uh, it's called, so the, the the label for the vodka is actually already approved. So, oh so, yeah! Oh, it's yeah. Well, wait, so wait, like wait. Craig said, what's your favorite? Anything you want to reveal? See, my, my dreams come true. What's my your favorite to drink? That's the that's the. Let's yeah, finish happy, it with uh, what's your favorite to my, drink? Is. My favorite to drink is uh, is the gold rum, and then I can I can safely and confidently say that Ryan's favorite is the dark rum. Nice. Um, there's there's no doubt about that. Uh, so he as, just as, walked in with a thumbs up as, for that too. Yeah. As 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 it goes with numbers, because you're asking what's, what, what's kind of the biggest sellers going forward. Um, dark rum, uh, numbers of bottles, hands down wins um, nice. pretty much every time, it, and it, it wins a lot of places. It wins when we go to markets. It wins um, a then lot of times in stores. Won an award it, it, too. The gold rum. The gold rum did. Nice, nice. Um, but we just we just recently were finally able after a two year battle to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan is louder than Craig. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't realize the mics are on. This is what happens when you record. I'm just going to do what I want. <laughs> it's my place. <laughs> he could probably, he, he might be able to pick up all the F bombs. He's probably going to start dropping uh, No, no, no cursing. Got to get rid Disney. Yep. Um, <laughs> But that's that's you know it's it, it looks nice in the bottle. That. It's got a good it's got a good flavor. It's got a kind of like a creme brulee topping finish on the back end. Mm. Um, but whiskey still numbers like numbers wise is um, for sales uh, is is our biggest generator. But okay, that's because it, it costs a little more because it, it has to. You don't have right, as many right. you don't have many fermentable sugars that come out. It's it's a little bit harder. To, <laughs> it's a lot harder to make. But uh, yeah. Anything else for Walker over here? Yeah, before we switch to Dan. Before we switch to Dan, we've got some minutes here. Yeah. When's the uh, release date for that Fat Guy uh, Vodka? Fat Guy Vodka. Yeah. I like that. Um, (laughs) Direct competitor to Skinny Vodka. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're taking it down right now. Yeah, we we just add sugar, nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) Just straight sugar. All the flavor, double the hangover. It comes with an insulin needle taped to it. Yeah. Diabetes with your first shot. Yeah, right. Yeah, true story. Yeah, I want to say this is the best old fashioned I've ever. Oh, had. it was absolutely Thank you. Thank you. delicious. And I, I will tell you that's actually a pretty good segue into into Dan Marlow right here. Um, I, I I've worked at a bunch of bars, but I never paid it, made it past uh, bouncer or bar back. They never let me actually like talk to people and make drinks. Um, <laughs> For good so, reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so my, bouncing is bar, bar back's hard work, but bouncing's fun. Yeah. So the uh, bareback's the, good. The, the the cocktail program is all is all. <laughs> It's all it's all Dan Marlowe, and that's that my my 
my ability to make a cocktail before um, Dan coming in was, do you, do you want Coke or Diet Coke? That was, yeah. that was it. Hey, and, but I will uh, say you did a really good job because uh, I think you made uh, the smoked wood old-fashioned. Yes. Yeah. It's oh, very yeah. delicious. I got Absolutely. one of those also. I, yeah, we I'm got Dan over here. He's, the he's daiquiri, a, and let me tell you, this daiquiri is a delish. Dan's, so, Dan's other than Dan's Spike Dan's drinking a daiquiri and the rest of us drinking the old fashioned, anybody drinking anything else? I've had the uh, dark and light. Dark and light? The Sazraz? Mm-hmm. The Sazraz? I've had that. It's pretty amazing. The I had that last time I was here, just the other day. It's really good. So, yeah, and uh, we're working on different stuff to make us a little bit separate, too. I mean, we make, we make all of our own um, mixers that go in. So, or the make us IP. The the Campari, the vermouth, um, sweet and dried, like we we make all of the triple. Oh, sack. you guys I mean, make that here? Nice, yeah. nice. So all that means me here, we're 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 now making all of our own syrups for going in for any of the sodas that you're going to see in there. Yeah, you just got to be careful with that soda machine. If you don't do it right, it blows up. Yeah, it does. You do it right, it never blows up. But the uh, the I mean the other thing is we're we're trying to have um, cool garnishes that go on there as well. Uh, Dan just recently started making all of our own cherries, so all the cherries that are in there, those those are uh, house made cherries by wow. us. It's like a Jedi master behind the bar. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then I mean if you order a martini, you you get a, a pickled garlic. Um, nice. that, that's yeah. nice. So that, that, oh wow, yep. that cherry is really good um, too. And then the uh, the <laughs> the Bloody Marys, which we have Old Bay pickles that that are going to be skewered on there. That sounds mm-hmm. fabulous. Mm-hmm. Other stuff, so. That so sounds like uh, Maryland right there. Let, let, yeah. Let's let's get to our bartender Dan over there. Dan, uh, is your mic working? Uh, I'm hoping not. Yeah, it's got uh, it. Too bad yeah, it's working. Not. Too bad. You got to talk on you it. You can't be uh, there, you man. can't be in the stilling room when you talk Don't on the mic. Don't be like Craig. I'm going to give you an example of how Craig likes to talk into his mic and he goes <laughs> around like this and turns sideways. Craig wants to do interviews in the parking lot. So uh, so Dan, uh, Dan Dan is uh, one of the genius bar well the genius bartender and the the, the front end manager, a little everything. Dan's been helping on a lot oh, with uh, Blue Dyer, helping him get to that next level. So I got the, Dan, I got Dan, the question I have for you, and, and this is. What is your favorite drink to make for people? But what would you like to make that might be a little too crazy at this time? You don't think people are ready for? Saipi. Uh, no, my favorite drink to make for people, uh, realistically, is going to be a sour uh, any day of the week because there's so many breakdowns, breakups, break sideways. Um, old fashions Skr- too. We le- we definitely like to show people that they're a category of cocktail, not something specifically inherent to whiskey. Um, we build ours with our gin, our dark rum, um, and oftentimes when people ask for the old fashioned, we offer those choices, and it, that in turn comes uh, uh, brings about a whole new conversation because a lot of people haven't had that opportunity. Uh, <laughs> the assumption is that they're going to get a whiskey old fashioned, and you know that that's not that simple either because it could be bourbon whiskey, it could be rye whiskey, you could rebuild it with a Scotch whiskey or American single malt whiskey. Um, <laughs> You forget it, you know, there's, there are wheat whiskeys, the list goes on. Um, no, <laughs> wheat whiskeys. Irish whiskey. Oh, yeah. um, so I can just listen to people talk about liquor all day. I'm so it's a midget whiskey? Oh, uh, they probably make one of those too. <laughs> Steve so, would love it. So here's, here, here to tab on the mic. Can they, can they how, drive a Power Wheels? How long morning? did it take you to come up with the recipes for what you currently have? And uh, what, what, what's the first recipe you're eyeing for when that vodka comes? Vodka. <laughs> Fat guy vodka. All right, well, sticking with the trend, we'll be, de- we'll be doing a vodka sour for sure. Um, now, guys, truthfully, I came late because I wanted to make sure that he knew how to make the cocktails. So uh, this is, Walker told you earlier that 
He, uh, okay, Spike, just tell me what you're doing. You gotta get closer to the mic. Eat the mic. Apparently, I have to. There you go. All right. This is like when we went to karaoke for the first time and had no idea what we were doing. Very good. Um, Yes. No, so Walker, uh, he sold himself short. Um, He was actually a terrible bartender. No, but uh, incredible, like like anything Shots else he applies fired. himself. No, any like anything else he applies himself to, and and the truth is, anyone who takes a moment to actually listen, give it a try, and then taste it, can do it too. And that's the emphasis we have behind our entire program. Um, so he was a slow kid in AP class. Uh, he can move pretty quick, actually. <laughs> nice. pretty quick, actually. But, so, uh, so tabling off that with, with you having trained Walker, do you, have you guys thought about? Offering some kind of like course to teach people to bartend. Mm, that'd be a good idea. I'll sign up for that. Yeah, the, I just the, know the liquor. Sh- the and short ice. answer is yes. The the long answer is a lot of pots on the fire right now. And <laughs> right. Uh, of course, you know, with, with, you, with a few other area, uh, areas of focus uh, in the program at the moment. Um, while people are in here, we teach them about distilling, right? Because we're a distillery. Right. So while they're in here drinking our distilled spirits in cocktail form, we also teach them about cocktails. So while the classes are coming. Uh, Right now, if you come in, you have a drink with us, I promise you, you're going to learn about the history of rye whiskey. You're going to learn about the history of an old-fashioned. You're going to learn what the difference is between a sour and a fix and how the fix died off, but the sour lasted and moved on and evolved. It got an egg white. It got whiskey. It got uh, claret table wine and turned into a New York sour. You know, it. you can't leave here without learning something unless you really, really just don't want to. So wow. you're like the Neil deGrasse Tyson of alcohol. Right. <laughs> He's straight Yoda, dude. He's the bartender like, ninja. Like Yoda, and we're not even Luke. We're like R2-D2s. Now, hold on. You had asked me about kind of a dream off-the-wall cocktail. Yes. We, yeah, we yeah. went with the, the realistic one, the one that I that offer guy, to most guy. folks. Um, so when, we first, when I first came in, uh, God, like 10 months ago, um, I made a drink for Ryan, and uh, we actually ran for a little bit, but... Uh, uh, egg whites and eggs in general um, often require a little more uh, scrutiny. So, Salt uh, and peppers. So now, so now I'll tell you, uh, you know, in a few me. minutes about this wonderful thing called aquafaba that we use here. But What, what was that again? Uh, what was that? We're, we're going to come back to aquafaba. Pin aquafaba. 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 Ask me confusedly about that in a minute. Um, but my favorite drink, my, my this is just my Achilles heel, is something called a flip. Yes. And there is <laughs> a lot of fun history to it. Uh, it goes back a very, very long time. And at one point in time, it really, truly was made with a red hot iron shoved into a bunch of beer and cream and rum. I was wondering where you're going. It, <laughs> it, it curdled. It curdled. And that's where they got the name, the flip. Now, the drink itself has evolved to such a ridiculous degree like, like any other. Um, so now what it typically is is any spirit, uh, any sugar, a little bit of dark beer, and a whole egg with cream or some dairy product. Now there's tricks in how you make it. Sometimes you have the idea is you separate the egg and the, uh, the white, the yolk and the white, and you have to shake them at different times during the process of building the drink or you don't get the desired effect. Why do I feel I'd be serving salmonella to everyone? Well, you know, <laughs> if, you're ser- if you're serving with the right spirits, you wouldn't be. So that, that is kind of my a little nuttier cocktail, but it's, it's it, for all intents and purposes, like a uh, intense dairy sour. You know, your sour is spirit, sugar, citrus. So we're just putting in some... Uh, some, some some cream and some egg instead of the citrus and um, the drink itself though it's a bit of a complicated drink and um, with all the dairy and the raw egg it it's a tough sell to a crowd that's 
just getting used to true daiquiris. Um, oh, and when we when we do it, I I want to make sure that we have a, a spot where we can actually use a red hot poker that came right out of a fire and That'd just slam awesome. it in there. I think that that's. I don't cool. like that you're staring at me. A red hot poker. Oh, it's gonna happen. Gentlemen, I know a place where we can make that happen. Hey, I'm not gonna lie. No one's going to your basement to with the red hot pokers. That drink kind of sounds like you're gonna be making offerings to porcelain gods on both ends. I like the clockwork orange hat, by the way. It's delicious. Well, it sounds interesting. I want to try it. Tis a nice hot. Are you gonna confusedly ask me about aquafaba? Yes. What is, what, is what is that? What is that? Exactly. What is aquafaba? Um, no, we, we get that every day. Uh, this water. So check this out, right? So when you make a drink with an egg white, and there are a lot of traditional cocktails that exist, that take an egg white, and anyone who says otherwise, you know what? They're missing out. Um, but the truth is it's got a long history going all the way back to the 1880s. And so using an egg white is inherent to a lot of classic cocktails. But... We have a lot of vegan audiences now. We have a lot of gluten-free audiences now. And check this out. We have a lot of cost-saving uh, and eco-friendly audiences now. Um, there's a lot of issues Gender surrounding uh, the sourcing of hippies. eggs sometimes. You know, so the, the, basically, it's, the, it's a politically correct, very safe, and frankly, Beverage very... fluid. This is the important part, guys. This is the really important part. A tasty alternative to egg whites. Because if it didn't nice. taste good, it would be pointless. Um, but you guys know what chickpeas are, right? Chickpeas, yes. Yep. Yes, beans, sir. Right? So you Hummus. Throw it in water. Just throw it in water. Soak it. There's a bunch of starch on those. The starch washes off, mixes into the water. When that water is agitated, which, you know, we, we tend to agitate and aggravate a lot of people. I'm agitated. I don't have a drink in my hand. It's <laughs> empty. Exactly. Exactly. Well, unfortunately, my I get the water center behind the mic right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> quit, quit complaining. It foams, though. It foams just like an egg white. And it's got a very blank canvas with a little bit of mouthfeel um so like an egg white it conforms to the flavor profiles of the drink so in a sour in a flip uh the it's actually a long list but the point is this is an option for audiences that really aren't quite sure about an egg white and or a mouthfeel you could uh, mouth now the mouthfeel you get no matter what or a red hot um, poker I feel like this drink is going to give me sensory overload. <laughs> <laughs> now, I feel like as, as, as a small business, though, this is the last consideration. Um, I, whatever you're going to pay for your eggs and your egg whites, whether carton, uh, even the powdered egg whites by comparison, um, one can of chickpeas, 99 cents. You can wash it five times with uh, 1,000 milliliters of water. I can make close to 100 cocktails from that one can of oh, chickpeas. Oh, yeah, price conservative. No great. Not to mention the vegans will show up and steal your soul. Well, not to mention we get all the good mouthfeel posts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about the mouthfeels. Now, uh, coming up to the mic now, we're going to have to teach him to actually be on mic and not, and not step away too far from it. And is, keep it right uh, is, is the, uh, the, the owner, one of the owners of Blue Dyer. The man himself. He is the mad scientist. Eat the mic. Eat the mic. He is the, the guy who, uh, who came up with the recipes and... and uh, when I first met him, he was sleeping in the office because he was working like nine jobs because he's Jamaican. But uh, right now we have uh, Ryan, and he's uh, not on. Can we get his mic hot? Oh, he's yep. on. He's, he's on. He's, he's on. on. Should be good. Talk right, to the mic. Step in. Step in. Jump in. Put your in. mouth on it. Come on, it's a rap battle. Jump in. Right here. There you go. Can you hear me? There, there, you go. there he is. There's the real Slim Shady. There you go. <laughs> we, uh... 
Hey, make, welcome to the table. We make we make liquor and liquor-based accessories. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for letting us host at your uh, your, your lovely business that uh, some of us have been coming since uh, you guys opened. W- what if you had the opportunity as the mad scientist, the is the main brewer of everything here? What would you like to make the most? The other, other than other than the you know the spice rum and the vodka that we're dying for yeah en- enough money to pay the bills on time there, there you go <laughs> truth, no, truth honestly, so we'll talk, keep you on I talk, I talk about this all the time I say on the left hand is me as an artist and then on the right hand is like the guy trying to keep the business growing in the beginning of the business they're not quite like this yet I want to get there I mean there's there's things that we've done that um, are business decisions over over purely what we'd like to do um, well it's a learning process yeah, when you start when you start shot. a distillery yeah. and you know there's no basis for one in the area you got to right. kind of you know limp your way and stumble through the Shoot dark from the hip there yeah that's the artistry part of it yeah yeah um but, but what i'd love, love to make um so i we can throw him a curveball right, right off the bat. He's outside working on his issues. secret project, yeah. so, you know. Sweating, sweating his yeah, head Yeah, right off. now he that's would a, love to make tacos. That's a taco truck. It's not a secret. Um, <laughs> the taco jokes. I cannot end. wait for the tacos to so come. does that mean that Blue Dyer is going to be making tequila? Oh, no way. No, ew. We can't. I mean, but come on. You got a taco truck and you're, yeah. a, you're a distiller. Come on. You got to make tequila. Well, never tequila has tequila. to be a product of, of Mexico by treaty. So we, uh, we can make agave based specialty spirit. But you can't call it, but we can't call it tequila. So it's not tequila, it's tequila. Oh. Yeah, it's like. That sounds like the ghetto version of it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, any, ch- any chance of an Irish whiskey? That also has to be made. Yeah. Uh, that's a special Ireland. When you start bringing countries into yeah. it, yeah. Then so it'll be like Blue uh, O'Dyer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, l- l- let me talk about what what's our game plan in the next year. I don't know what I want to make. Uh, rye whiskey is my favorite whiskey. That's what I'll drink. Um, besides the dark rum, the dark rum is really simple to make. I, I like the dark rum. Um, after enough batches, it, it can get a little redundant. Sort of like that old commercial making the donuts. Yeah. Um, donuts are delicious. But we're definitely going to get into a rye, uh, an American single malt, uh, a three grain. And we'd really like to do a whiskey with uh, sorghum. Uh, we're trying to set something up to do a locally grown uh, sorghum and do a sorghum whiskey. Um, but then, you know, how soon can we get all these things done? It's everything is a system. So getting that tavern up off the ground, we realized we needed the food business. So now we're getting the food business off the ground to support the tavern. And then once the tavern is... You got to get on the mic, man. Once the, the tavern's doing well enough, then I can uh, disappear <clears throat> from construction work and, and uh, bar backing work and get into the back and get back to... The nuts and bolts of the business so I, I feel like a little torn away from the the production end for the last year or so so your comfort zones being the mad scientist in the back coming up with well yeah, he, d- he doesn't want to do tours he, doesn't no. want, he, he wants to sit in the back and just come up with crazy <laughs> ideas so, so I, I asked Walker what what is your guys's uh end game eventually like how, how big do you want to get how that small do you want to stay is there is there a sweet spot you're looking for yeah the, the dream is uh, Eastern Seaboard distribution um, 
I wouldn't want to go beyond that. Just if we can be distributed to the East Coast. Oh, the air conditioning just kicked on. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good distribution. So, um, you guys are pretty green as far as the way you operate. Water, what you do with the chips. Can you talk about that? Yeah, um, it really boils down to that, the economics of it. It's, It's interesting. There's sort of this uh, dichotomy where people believe that uh, for a business to operate with green principles or processes that it typically costs more. Um, And, you know, from a very small business perspective, all of the green policies and procedures that we have are also more economical. Uh, You know, distributing waste grains to local farms, uh, the spent grains from our whiskey, um, that saves us a... The tremendous amount of money, um, labor. Uh, there's a cost by a ton for commercial waste that we're not paying. Um, so recycling heated wastewater, it, just, it saves us money. If we've heated the water for one process and then we can use it hot for another process versus reheating another 300 gallons of water. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's but about, I mean, it, not just that, but the grains, the grains go back to the local farms that help support the place, but the support that you guys are doing, not just to the environment, but also to the local farms, yep. we're even sponsoring local, like our lodge for our golf tournament every year, Same. and the money that comes into the golf tournament goes into a local charity, which is the Springdale Center in La Plata, which helps with uh, Votech training it's for It's like people. the Lion King, it's the cycle of life. It is. It's it is the circle, circle of, of life. alcoholics. Yeah. It's a but, I mean, your, your, your business is not just helping, you know, the environment. You're helping local businesses. You're helping local charities. There's so many things that you guys are tied into that, you know. Well, and, we, and we find that it's sort of growing that web, it, it helps the business. Uh, running a small business is kind of like that movie, The Gambler. I mean, yeah. once we started distributing to local farms, then uh, within a year, um, uh, Dan leveraged that to get us into uh, one of our – Cocktail garnishes with uh, Boondoggy Farms uh, in Bryantown. Uh, Boondoggy Farms runs a, a local crafters market uh, once a month, six months out of the year. And so we have a, r- a really good foothold in with her, uh, Kenna, at, at, at that particular farm. She's built an FDA-approved kitchen and is going to be distributing uh, Old Bay infused pickles, uh, licensed oh, wow. by Old Bay. Right. You put so, Old Bay on anything in Maryland. People are like, oh, it's Old Bay. They go crazy. <laughs> and, and, and as a result of our, our farm connections and networking, we were one of the first uh, persons to have that product available. So it's good for us. It enhances the value of our Bloody Mary. And at the same time, we're, we're helping her from a grassroots standpoint get the word out on the product. So I think what we've learned is that there's, a, there's an antiquated thought process that a lot of entrepreneurs operate according to where they believe that that business is a zero-sum game if my, my business didn't make the dollar and business B made the dollar then I'm, I'm losing but what we found is like the wider you can grow the web and the more different businesses and parts of the community that you can reach into the more everybody's business grows I agree. That, that nice. is a, yep. that's, a, that's a good way of putting it. You guys it. can grow together. So, you know, with, uh, with that, I think that's a good way to end this segment on. Um, we're going to uh, take a little break. We're going to make a drink and come back with Dan's our... Dan's going to make a drink. Our, <laughs> hey, our, uh, Dan's going to make a Come back drinks. with our wrap-up. Our gonna funny discussion for the night, and then we will, uh, we will follow this up. Bookers. Anyway, uh, we'll be back in a few with the next part. Yeah.
And we're back after a fresh round of drinks from our good bartender Dan here Dan at Blue Dyer. Man. We apologize for the background noise. The air conditioner's on because they're getting ready to open the tavern for the evening. Not just uh, that, it was getting sweaty for some big guys yeah, in here. In the remote. And we got a hot guest in the room. Those big guys need some play. That's we're right. throwing off some BTUs. Hey, remember, don't make eye contact. All right, so we're going to eye contact. <laughs> we're going to wrap up this uh, this wonderful podcast with a uh, little discussion on what was the first car that you ever owned and rode into the ground. So we'll start off with old West Side to my left. Yeah, man. I, uh, my first car ever was a Chevy Citation, dude. It was an 85 Chevy Citation. And it had a vertical AM stereo, so I had to take the vertical out and put a tape deck in. But then the tape deck was in sideways, so it only played for like 30 minutes until the tape started dragging because it was sideways. That mug had two 12-inch house, spe- home, house speakers in it. <laughs> Killing it. I was killing it. I remember the manifold fell off about week two. It sounded like an import, but it wasn't really an import. It was just a semi citation with the with no manifold and house speakers. How about you, Big Sexy? What would you have? My first car was a 2001 Mazda 626. Oh, someone has some money. Come on. Someone has some money already. It it was white. I bought it used. It was five grand. You sure it wasn't a Miata? Yeah, it was brand uh, new. I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know. I was proud of it because I worked two jobs to be able to save up the money to buy it. So, but in the end, it lasted from here to Miami and back. And then, Miami. then the transmission gave out. I couldn't drive it in uh, drive. I had to put it in first gear to get it going. <laughs> and then I had to get the RPMs up to like 5,000 <laughs> and slam it in the drive. <laughs> And then the headliner started falling out of it, but man, I had two 12-inch subs in the back of it. Right. Uh, oh, so you had money because you had real subs. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and neon lights under. Oh damn. Oh wow. How about you over there, Hollywood? I had a 2004 Nissan pickup. Well, five five-speed four-banger. 2004. Mr. Mr. No, 94. Sorry, oh, 94. Mr. Only, 90. only drive forward had a <laughs> Nissan pickup. I don't only drive Ford. I, I drive a Chevy now. Oh, Chevy. A Nissan pickup. I had a Nissan right, pickup. Hey, what's wrong with Nissan? Hey, look. I love my Nissan. <laughs> young, young Lance Corporal. No money. It was twelve grand, And I drove that truck like it was a race car. Did it have the little tiny extended cab? That, that no, Nissan no. It was, was a straight, straight regular oh, cab. Yeah, the little can, box uh, You and one was, friend. You it was one a, friend yeah, control. one and one friend. He could pick up extra friends at Home Depot. <laughs> it doesn't work. The, the, the best part was being in Lejeune as a young Marine pulling up at a, at a stoplight and a Mustang pulling next to me and I just get on the throttle you know make the p- truck bounce and get oh, them to he was faking <laughs> hydraulics <laughs> no those are the fat chicks that was good that was good hydraulics now the west side yeah, that was I, the west I, side I'd get, to, I'd get them to think that I wanted to race that was just and they take off and I just cut put along <laughs> nice. those are the strippers he picked up outside of base <laughs> how about you uh, how about you there music man what was your uh, first hoopty so I'm a real hoopty. I have a Datsun 210B. Oh, oh, look at that oh, thing. Wow. What a photo. A 1981. Because oh, some, people, some people do show prep, oh. but I had an 81 uh, Datsun 210B. Nice. Yeah, I had to replace the transmission. Some people don't have printers, all right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every time Brian needs a print something, like a, I email know, it to Mike. Old West Side's like, hey, uh, you know, my kid's got something. Can you print look this out for her? Wait, did it have two different color front seats? <laughs> <laughs> 
I, uh, I actually hit something and ripped the door off the passenger nice. seat while somebody, I won't say what it was because, you know, the statute of limitations, but I had a, I had a blue door in the end before. The, he had to put a blanket over there to cover yeah. the holes in the seat. <laughs> right. How about you, Big Bear? All right, I'm going a little old school. I had a 1979 Ford Bronco, 32-inch oh, tires, silver paint, black top, and that thing would pass everything but a gas station. <laughs> had a six, had a eight-cylinder in it. Man, that's, let me tell you, that's white people problems. How, how many uh, how many cops chasing that thing? <laughs> Quite a few. <laughs> Most of them only caught me when I got home or ended up in a ditch somewhere. So they only had to wait to the next gas station. Wasn't that what OJ was calling it? Yeah, it was, a, it was yeah. a helicopter what, that followed him everywhere he went. That's right. what he got. Tony was actually driving. Bear was driving the, the Bronco. <laughs> right. It was the white, long before it, that happened. It was though. a white, I mean black Bronco. Yep. How about you, Stitch? What was your first hoopty? Well, my very first bucket was uh, a hand-me-down car from my cousin Enrique. My <laughs> just just because his name was Enrique means this car is gonna be horrible. Oh, yeah. Please tell me it was a Pinto. Was it a Pinto? This, no. This car or a Vega? A no. It was a uh, it was a 1998 Volkswagen Jetta. It was yeah. all oh. white. <laughs> and I spent more time fixing it with my dad than I did yeah, driving. The Jetta. And then luckily, I think I only drove it like maybe five times tops because every time I tried to get it out the driveway, it would stop. Oh so finally, we got it fixed up enough because I had saved some money with my mom and I bought another car. And I gave that car to my cousin and it stopped in the middle of the highway. Oh. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll segue into my story when you're talking about middle <laughs> of the highway. So I had a 1984 Nissan Sentra. There you go. But it still said Datsun Nissan on the back. That's how old it was. <laughs> right, but, uh, was it lowered? I, no, no, no I, it, was, it was. It was falling apart. But I ran that baby in the ground. It must have had like 300,000 miles on it. But uh, I had a Sirwin box in it. Yes. A Sirwin box. I had a kicker, uh, kicker base tube and a uh, Fosgate amp pushing that bad boy. Uh, Man, all you y'all know. had real but I, I didn't. But the funny thing is I didn't have like rims. I had like the fake you know, <laughs> the fake hubcaps on it. Did and, you uh, have the 7-Eleven spinners on them? Uh, but no, no, they didn't have them back spinners. then. I wish they did, but uh, that was uh, 93. And, and, Remember I ran, in 90- and I ran that car into the ground in 93, and it caught on fire what? on the side of the highway in New York. And literally, I just sat there on the side. I grabbed what I could, and I watched the car just completely burn to the ground. And should then the riot happened. Should have cooked some uh, Well, it was December 93, and that was, uh, that was my catalyst for saying, I got no job, I got no car. Hello, Mr. Air Force. I went down to recruiter like two weeks later and enlisted. And uh, was, the guy's like, are you, here to, "Are you here to join the Air Force?" No, I just need to ride home. My car, <laughs> my car's on fire down the street. That was the hardest part because the recruiter's like, "You got to show up for uh, you know to show up in maps." And I'm like, "I, I don't have a way of getting." Uh, so I had to like walk and take the subway or whatever, a bus, you know, whatever it took to get there. Dude, it's fads that are amazing. Because back then, '93, that's when, uh, like now, the rims are all big. '93, everybody wanted like the 13-inch triple gold Daytons. Yeah, I had no money. Mm-hmm. I, I was uh, <laughs> I was broke working in a warehouse. So, uh. but anyway, uh, this was a fun episode as always. It was. Um, w- thanks to Dan and, and, and Walker and Ryan for Absolutely. making us some tasty, tasty drinks. Craig, here don't hold up that drink. At hey, Blue Dyer. You know what? It's good. Speaking of weird. Well, you know, we want to thank Blue Dyer once again for having us here. Uh, we really have a good time. I think uh, Stitch is drinking a mojito, and he's loving yes. it. Even the, the gla- dark mojito. Even the glass that thing is in, Craig. <laughs> I mean, you should hold <laughs> it. Craig's, Craig's drinking the most manliest drink ever. It's got a curled uh, something in it. But it, it's, it's fizzy and it's blue. But it's, it, it, you know what? They it's make good. This ta- they make great drinks at the taverns down here. Uh, it's always a good time down here when you come yep. down here. The guys are fun to talk to, fun to hang out with. I mean, we know them, but uh, you can come in here as a stranger and have a good time. 
But with that, we will uh, we will say goodbye from uh, the Level With Us crew. And uh, from me, this is Spike. Westside. Big Sexy. Hollywood. Music Man. Bear. Brother Stitch. Yo, I and we're like out. That. I'm fat like that. I'm in like that because I swing like that. We jazz like that. We freak like that. We zoom like that. We out. We out. We out. We out.